Welcome to The Meaning of Life, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. The Meaning of Life is a 10-part study of the three letters from the book of John. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. We have a woman who's working in her backyard, and she's working with uh, what I call a weed whacker, and she accidentally cuts off the tail of her cat. So, come on, you cat people, bring it. She ran screaming into the house ah! and told her husband, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? He said, it's okay, honey, get the cat, get the tail, go pick up the tail, put it all in the box, we'll go to Walmart. She says, what? How could that possibly help? And he said, well, they say they're the world's largest retailer. From the sublime to the ridiculous. We live in a difficult world. Ha ha, but it's true. It's really a bad world. Uh, economies are collapsing, wars between people. Sometimes you can't know who the good guys are and the bad guys. Nations are being undermined from within and from without. Uh, Mostly, human life itself is being devalued. It's, it's alarming. It's discouraging. It's frightening. It's terrifying. Um, recently, I came across a blog called A Godless World. In it, the writer comments on every negative element in our society. As you might expect, nowhere in the blog is there any mention of God. None at all. Uh, In the movie, The Hunger Games, which you may have seen when it came out years ago, you say what you want about its relevance or value. One thing is for sure, the world that is depicted in the uh, uh, show, the world of Panem, where teens, uh, teens battle to the death is a completely godless world. It was shocking. My wife and I couldn't sit through it when it came out years ago. Uh, It was just like unthinkable. People are just killing each other. Well, guess what? Have you looked at the TV lately? If they're not killing somebody, they're calling for it. I recently got a prayer request from a student who was on a college mission trip in Germany. In the request, she described the population of the city that she was in as 1% Christian. That sounds about right. Most of the people in the world have zero use for God. Many different reasons, they're legion, but the conclusion is Satan is having a field day with people. Zero relevance for God in a lot of circles. Um, the, The world that we live in is seductive as well. In other words, it's enticing. Um, We are told that if we look right on the outside, that's all that matters. The image. It doesn't really matter who we are on the inside. We are told that if we spend our money on just the right thing, our future is secure and we don't have to worry until you get to be our age and you realize it's a bunch of hogwash because we did it and it didn't work. So now we're hopefully getting it right. 
Maybe that's why you're here today. We're told that all truth is relative, which means your truth, my, if I hear the phrase, your truth, my truth, again, I'm going to vomit. Your truth, there's no such thing, but we hear that. It's like, it doesn't matter if we disagree, because you can be right and I can be right. No, that denies the essential nature of truth, which is its exclusivity. We are told that uh, as long as we are sincere, nothing else matters. Again, hogwash. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Just drink the Kool-Aid. You'll find your place. I mean, it's frightening. And I don't want to speak in, in uh, catchphrases, say, oh, our kids. But it is. Think about your kids and your grandkids. It's a world that no one should have to grow up in. And here it is. And God has somehow allowed this. So our job is to acknowledge the reality that we live in and to understand God's relevance to it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. For those who veer outside of the world system, this world will kill you. It's ruthless. And it has many, many ways of doing you in. Make no mistake, you as a believer are not friends with the world. You may have individual friends who overlook the fact that you're a Christian. But in reality, when you look at the system of the world, it's evil and you are not friends with it if you're a believer. If you are Mm, need to think about that just for a second. Now, I don't mean you're not kind and you don't try to make friends. That's not what I'm talking about, aligned with the same objectives. Um, entire classes of people today are still being enslaved by others. And here we go with a whole nother round of it in various places. Our world has been confronted with the problem of human trafficking and adult and child slavery. And you would think, didn't we do that already? But sin is always sin. And every generation figures out new ways to sin. Including ours, 50 years ago. A recent report was made on murders in Mexico by cartels who beheaded and cut off the hands and feet of the victims. We certainly have heard of that in the Middle East as well. And it's like we can't believe it and we want to turn off the TV or the blog or whatever because we can't, we can't grapple with that. Well, they're still dead whether you grappled with it or not. So grapple away, I think we must. Because God is speaking in that. Why does he allow such evil? I don't know. I don't know. But it's there. We're heading toward a time, I think, if I read my Bible correctly, where you and I as believers are going to be the target. Not the Jews only. Or any other people group that's being oppressed. It'll be reserved, the harshest treatment, for those of us that call on the name of Christ. Think about that for a minute. I don't know how long from now that is, but it's closer every day. 
What if it were to be in 2024? Have you thought about that? All us 50-somethings, 60-somethings, 70-somethings, 80-somethings, have you thought about that your life might change at this point in your life forever? It might. Now, I don't want to worry. Well, actually, I do want to worry you. I want to bring you to a point where you say, hmm, maybe I, got, I need my attention focused on this somehow so that I'm not a victim when it could be avoided, but more so I can add my voice to the hundreds and thousands and millions of people who are praying for God's will to be done. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. No kidding. I'm not trying to be funny. No kidding. Now, we know Jesus said that back then. They had the same problem. Godless culture, political exile, and danger. Uh, The worst treatment reserved for those that call the name of Jesus. He wasn't kidding. In the last chapter of John... Uh, the first letter of John, John talks about the world. So I'm going to let him speak for it from here. He talks about the difficulties we'll face as Christians. And it sounds like he wrote the letter yesterday. And this was eerie to me to read and, and try to fashion into something that didn't sound like a crazy man, I guess. But it's not crazy. The world really is bad, and it's not, you know, Betty Crocker anymore at all. I mean, everywhere, it's bad. Thinking is bad. People are thinking things that we wouldn't even consider are conceivable younger in our life. So, here's what John says, chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, in other words, is Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So we love God, we love each other. By this, this love, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So he's saying, when you know, you can see your love for God because you love each other and you love his commandments. There's the rub. We love what God does when it makes us feel good. But when God says, don't do that, we want to. Bad. And we say, yeah, okay. And we do it. No love in that, according to this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, well, seems like that's what everybody says they are. Oh my gosh, I got to do this. And I got to, sometimes it's just overwhelming to keep up with everything God tells me to do. It's not burdensome. If it's burdensome, something's wrong. You haven't come face to face with how much God loves you and gave to you already. You haven't seen the freedom in it. You haven't experienced obedience and what peace it gives to your heart. Verse four, for everyone... Uh, who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now we're talking about the world again. So now that's sort of a little bit of relevance there. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is that victory? Our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you want to overcome the world that hates you and wants to kill you? Believe on the name of Jesus as the Messiah. That's it. Hallelujah. Can we say everybody in this room believes that, please? Please consider that. I'm not asking to embarrass anybody. Grapple with that. Figure out. Get your life straightened out, folks. Me too. Let's do it together before it's too late. And by that, I don't mean we have to be perfect. I mean we have to get our relationship with Christ settled. That's all I mean. Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Christ, the Messiah, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. We'll talk about what those are in a second. For um, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. In other words, God tells us about his own son. Pay attention. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. In other words, the witness is here. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. That's an exclusive statement, by the way, in Greek. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Case closed. My words. Verse 13. These are some of the greatest words that I ever read in my life. I write you these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's that word? No. Know that you have eternal life. Think that you may think you have, that you may hope you have. No, 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 no. You may know. Wow. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, that's pretty good too, isn't it? If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. It is so tremendous. We don't deserve this kind of level of truth, God, but you have shared it with us. You have given us a glimpse into what reality is all about. You have shown who you are, who your son is, who the Holy Spirit is, who what evil is, what your word is, who we are, and how terrible the world is in this one chapter. May we see all that and act accordingly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, verse 1 through 5, let's talk about uh, organize this a little bit. John begins by reiterating two things he has said on several times through the letter. Two evidences of faith in Christ. Number one, a Christian believes that Jesus is God. Go around you when you hear somebody say, well, maybe he's not God. First mistake. Okay. That's a, a deal breaker. 
Jesus is God. If Jesus isn't God, none of it makes sense. Uh, he goes on from there um, to remind the reader, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, number one, Christian believes that Jesus is God. C number two, Christians will love their brothers. And a third evidence is, is that we, those that love God and love their brothers, will keep his commandments. Even though we're not perfect, Christianity is a, uh, is a relationship of grace first, but there is behavioral aspect to it. There is an issue of obedience. Obedience matters to God. Does it keep him from loving you? Not unless you are in your own thing till the end of your life. If you're a believer today, when, when you disobey God and do something that grieves him, is he mad at you in the sense that he's grieved? Yes. In the sense, does he remove his grace from your life? No. Does it matter that you did it? Yes. Is God hurt? No. Are you hurt? Yes. Is your witness hurt when people look around you and say, well, if they do that, she does that, he does that. Well, what is that? That must mean they're not really serious about their faith. Listen up. If the shoe fits, wear it. Okay. Love and obedience. Christianity is about yielding ourselves to God because the Holy Spirit allows us to do so. Letting him live in us. When we do that, uh, he gives us strength to do what he asks us to do, and it becomes a true pleasure. A true pleasure. John continues in verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Who doesn't want to be a winner? Okay? Everybody in America knows what it's like to, well, everybody except the Cowboys. Everybody wants to be a winner. Everybody I know wants to overcome the battle, whether it be workplace rivalry, promotion, family squabble, school rankings, athletic con. We all want to win. We all want to win. I remember when I was uh, in junior high and I first started being serious about football, I used to write out our schedule on this like serious notepad thing. Every single game, what all I did wrong, what all I did right, whether we won, whether all of it was, and I would cross it all out. None of it was worth it if we lost. And I was like freaked out about how important it was to win. Not sure that was not part of my dysfunction, but that's the way it is uh, when I grew up. There was no substitute for victory. Um, none of that's what John's talking about. None of it. John is talking about the world system. And through all the means I mentioned before to divert your attention from God, to distract those that seek God, and ultimately to destroy you uh, in your relationship to God. That's the world, and that's the evil one, Satan. He has two M.O.'s. He lies and he kills. He lies and he kills. Satan will do anything to lie to you and get you to believe it with the intent that before you come to Christ, you die. Your spiritual death is what I'm talking about.
He lies and he kills. Um, this is why it's so important to read what John says about the fact that the battle, which is the eventual battle, has already been won. That one. Satan's doom is certain. He just doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. If you belong to Christ today, you have overcome in that sense. Satan no longer has a hold on you. You may yield to sin. I mean, you may give in to sin, but your eternity is settled. Be glad. Be very glad. You are in this category John's talking about of those that have overcome. Remember the song, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, okay? Uh, it's an old hymn, but it's got gospel truth in it. Encamped along the hills of life. Took the soldiers right. Do you remember that song? All right. I will sing it. Listen to what Ephesians 2 tells us about. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. All right, verse 6, John now launches into a full-blown verification of what Jesus did on the cross. This is theology, folks. If you want to read about what Jesus did, here, here you go. Uh, he says Jesus came by water and blood. John is referring to Jesus' water baptism, which he declared that he was the Son of God which began his earthly ministry as Messiah. And of course, his death on the cross is by blood, where his blood was shed, as we say every time we receive communion. John then explains that the Holy Spirit bears witness to this truth as well. This is the Holy Spirit's role in part, is to give witness, and as in a courtroom, yes, he did. He did. So how does he do that? He confirms truth to you. This is why you, when you read the word of God, you say, would you open our eyes, God, to this truth? What the Holy Spirit's going, talking to Reg, and Reg is reading, and Dusty's going. He says, he reads something that's true, and the Holy Spirit says, listen to that, and that's true. And he goes, well, but, 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 I said, yeah, no, no buts, it's true. So Reg goes, okay, I get it. And eventually makes it a part of his life. And the Holy Spirit is happy with Reg. When we come to believe in Christ, the same Holy Spirit comes to live in every believer. Remember I said last week, the minute you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not a secondary blessing. The Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, comes when you receive Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to be, and it is God's gift to you, but it's also a seal of your salvation, and it's like the stamp of approval. Reg is in. Isn't that great? How's it feel to be in? Pretty good, huh? Feels good to me, too. That's what the Holy Spirit says. I can believe that. I can believe that myself. I can believe that for Reg. Kind of hard to believe, but with Reg... Christ's work on the cross provides eternal life for his children. This is the victory that overcomes the world, okay? That's what it is, your salvation. Now, this one comes up from time to time. We call it assurance. 
Do you know the song, Blessed Assurance? Do you know what assurance is? Could anybody, like, give a shot to define that in layman's terms? What is assurance? What? Somebody back here said. It, okay, so certainty is a good word. What are we certain about? Jesus is what? His mind. Okay. What is blessed assurance? What comes next? Blessed assurance. Yeah. Hallelujah. He's mine. He's not just out there. He's not just a thought. He's not just a great world con. He's mine. Okay. He's mine. He saved me. Okay, so what does the devil say? Oh, you know, you're pretty, you're a bad guy, Daryl. You're a bad guy. Inside of your heart, you say all kind of cruddy things. Okay? And he says, yeah, but the Holy Spirit says I'm a believer and I have to trust that. Nah, nah. So Daryl gets all hung up with that. Um, this is facetiously if you're... And so he's all of a sudden, then he finds himself doing something in order to prove that he's a holy person. And he does it for that reason, so that God will love him again, misunderstanding that God loved him already, misunderstanding that he doesn't have to do anything for the rest of his life to earn his salvation. But Satan says you do. Why? Because he wants it to be about what you do, not about what Christ did, because he doesn't believe Christ did anything. See how it works? Therefore, what does Daryl do? He comes to me and he says, I just feel dirty all the time. I feel like I can't measure up. And no matter what I do, it doesn't seem like God loves me. Well, you're trying the wrong way, brother. He didn't love you because you did anything in the first place. Why would he not love you when you don't do good things. So what is the assurance that Daryl needs? It ain't about what he does. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's what it's about. That's why they wrote that song. We've just been singing it all our lives and and we, it, we become inoculated from its truth sometimes because it's just a bunch of words and it's like a script. So now all of a sudden, Daryl says, I don't have to earn God's salvation. What helps him along the way? John saying, I can help you know that you are a child of God. In other words, most of us kind of think it's not knowable in the first place. How many people do you talk to that say, what is life about? Well, I live and I try to do some good things and I do some bad things. And if at the end of my life, um, if the good outweighs the bad, then I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, that, it sounds good, but it's hogwash. Doesn't work that way. Anybody that understands the biblical theology understands that. But the world doesn't. So they just say stuff. Because it makes sense to a godless human. 
And then all of a sudden, we need to read John say, these things I read to you that you can know. Assurance. And it's like people are going along believing this hogwash about what salvation is. It's not about at the end of the life. Met. It's not a way scale thing. And God's in, you know, oh, line B, line A. No. It's I got my get out of jail card. Here it is. Come on through. And if you don't, you don't even get there. And it's like biblical Christians need to understand that this is intimately knowable that you're a believer. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder. I try to live the best I can. I hope God can forgive me. I'm making up for things I did when I was young and misguided. Yeah, you can never make up enough to be holy. We do good things so that God will love us. We sacrifice our time and talents in a sort of an exchange with God for his good favor, and we miss it entirely, which is here. I give you eternal life based on nothing except my gift, my sovereign love for you, and my death on the cross on your behalf. So... Uh, what are you supposed to do with people who forget this all the time? Uh, for that, we're going to turn to the great theologian, Bob Newhart. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, Buried alive in a box. Yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh no, no, no. We don't. We don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I um, I charge five dollars for the for the first five minutes, and and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. Wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. 
Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Okay. So, in Christian love, if a believer doesn't understand what salvation is, then I would want them to. But on the other hand, sometimes we go back to our tried and true ignorance, and we need to stop that. We need to grow up theologically so that we're not carried away with silly, misguided foolishness. So that we end up over here in a room that there's nobody there except us. And it just feels weird. And we wonder at the end of our life, why didn't I pay more attention to the things that really matter? What's right and what's wrong? What's true and what I made up is what we should stop, okay? Faith in Christ is about him, not you. It's about him. And if, when I was young, we learned things in a simple way. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Remember that? I don't remember that campus crusade or somewhere. And... I know there's discussion about what it is that God said and what it means, but we shouldn't forget that it's pretty simple as well. Our problem is we don't want to believe it. We don't want to obey it. So we figure out all this elaborate ruses of really what is just pride and willfulness. Stop it. Okay. Faith in Christ is about him. Overcoming the world is about yielding our lives to this victory. When you do that, the victory is yours, period. Okay, my attitude towards sin can be quite simply, according to this, God is greater and he lives in me. Doesn't mean you don't continue to have to grapple with sin on this side of eternity, you do. Overcoming sin is never done by trying harder. It's done by relying harder on God. Asking him to change you. Yes, there is a moment where you act like the person you want to become. And one day soon, you're going to find that God has changed your heart. You don't want to do it anymore. Trust me. For the Christian, um, the deeper you reach down into your soul to try, the more you will see down deep in that heart is where the sin is in your heart. Don't reach down there. This is, again, another lie of the world. Trust your heart, we're told. No, 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 no. My heart is what got me into the problem. My heart says, take care of me. My heart says, I'm important. My heart says, surely God can't be this mean. Stop it. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be the one preaching this sermon, okay? 
<laughs> That'll cost you five dollars. All right. For the Christian, though, when you look down deep in your heart and you see that sin, there is another option. When you come to Christ, guess what you get? A new one. A new heart. The heart that Christ lives in. He cleaned it all out. It's new. It's remade. God gives this to you when you trust him. A heart that is his and can be no one else's. That's the heart we follow. That's the heart that belongs to God. That's the new life that you yield to, that you lead when you yield to him. Because now, as a Christian, you have a choice between whether or not you sin or not. Before you knew Christ, you had no choice. Sin is the inevitable result for the non-Christian. And even though we look around and we see terrible things in the world, don't be surprised the world is capable of, I mean, the, the heart is, without Christ, capable of a lot worse things than even what we're seeing today. Doesn't seem possible, but it's true. It's not just wickedness, debauchery, all kinds of manners of evil the heart is capable of. And don't just say, oh, those people in another religion. We're capable of that outside of Christ. Americans are. Okay? Please make no mistake in assuming that the gospel belongs to America. I've talked about that as an aside, but since God brought it on my heart, let me mention briefly, it's good to be patriotic. We should all be willing to give our life for our country, yes. However, there's no requirement to be an American to belong to Christ. In fact, when we read the gospel, every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. So how can it be that there's evil people and good people? There isn't. There's only evil people. And that's us too. And when Christ saves you, you are part of a new covenant of relationship with the church eternal. And you're going to find there's a lot of Middle Easterners in it. There's a lot of Africans, Russians, people all over the world, Chinese, all right? So you get that one for free. All right, because we have the choice as a believer, we can choose not to sin. You can say, I won't do that in Christ because he saved me and I'm just not going to. God, please help me. And you run away from that temptation as fast as you can if necessary. Remember, God is greater. He is greater than your sin. He is. You're not greater than your sin. You're the one that caused it. But God is greater. Greater than any sinful allure of the world. God is greater than the ruthlessness, than the debauchery, than the evil. God does not leave that forever unchallenged. That's for sure. The day will come when every um, person, alive and dead, will acknowledge that Christ is Lord. Never forget that. Not in a sense of, well, we're going to show them in a sense of, baby, get out on your knees and be glad you're in that group. Because you're going to get to see that. Think about that. Fast forward to that day you might see that. That's going to be glorious in the sense of right. Not in the sense of pride and me or anything. 
I'm just thankful that God chose to save me, and I get to see that, and so do you. But God is greater than all of the ruthlessness of the world. So let me leave you with some things here. Um, I'm just going to run through these. These are Bible verses that are things you can count on today. Uh, God says, I will never leave you. He says, I am your shield in Genesis. He says, I will strengthen you in Isaiah. He says, I will help you also in Isaiah. In John, Jesus said, and when he putteth forth his own, John said, as he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before them. In other words, he walks ahead. Jeremiah records, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace, not of evil. In Matthew, come to me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In 1 John, and we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 84, no good thing will he withhold, will he withhold from them that work uprightly. In 1 Samuel, it's recorded, the Lord will not forsake his people for his name's sake. In Psalm 25, the meek he will guide. That means humble before God. In Romans 8, all things work together for good for them that love God. So what is yours today based on this letter is that confidence can be yours. Confidence. Even if you don't think you're a person, maybe you're kind of shy, maybe you don't exude confidence. That's not, we're not talking about personality. We're talking about, do I know something? So if you have a hundred dollars in the bank and you get a statement in the mail and says you got a hundred dollars in the bank, um, you have confidence that you have a hundred dollars in the bank and you may not go down and get it out, but you live life under the assumption that you have that money if you ever need it, right? We know how that works. That's the kind of confidence we're talking about. That's the faith that overcomes the world. I have confidence that when things happen, if America were to fall, it doesn't break my confidence in God. If Christians were to be begun to be arrested and even jailed and killed, it doesn't change my effect, my confidence in God. Maybe I get to be one of the people that say, what a blessing, blessed thing it is to give my life for my Savior. You never know. Who knows? But that confidence is mine because of the work of God. And that's what John is saying. And that's a gift he's giving to us, which is, hey, folks, stop it. <laughs> you can realize this. You don't have to live over here in defeat. You, you're the victor. It gives you confidence to share your faith and to talk and to live. You can spend your money when you see a need because God's going to take care of you no matter what. So John is not just writing this letter to first, Christian, first century Christians. We believe that we read the Bible in this context. It was written to them, but it was written for us. So does that make sense? We read in proper context that John is writing to Jewish believers, okay? It was read by some Gentiles too eventually, but he's addressing these comments to believers. So he's writing it to them, 
We read it in its original context. Who, were, who was he? Who were, they? who were they? What was the time? All of that. However, because of what we believe about the Bible itself, we understand that that letter is included in this book in order that it be read by us as truth. So it's written to them for us. And let me say one more thing. The truth is, here's another prayer for Israel. We're not just praying that Israel would be safe. We're praying that the gospel is made known in Israel. Because the people of God are eventually going to see him. And they're going to come to him in large measure. Can you imagine that? Pray for that. Um, back to this letter. This letter is an encouragement to us. It is also a declaration of truth. But if you want to look at it only as a letter from John to you, then listen to how it would be maybe if John, I wrote down what it would be if John wrote his letter to me. So you put your name in it somehow. It says, Dear Mickey, I have heard recently that you had some doubts about your faith. These doubts, I heard, had come from some unsuccessful attempts at living the Christian life on your own. The purpose of my letter is to remind you that you belong to me. You have known this since January 31st, 1970. Remember when you first stepped forward and said you believed that he died for your sin? Felt good, didn't it? In a deep sense. To know that he loved you enough to die for you, to give you eternal life. So here is my question. Again, John to me. You know that you didn't do anything to earn salvation. Why do you insist that you are always doing something that might cause you to lose it? What's come over you? Stop it! Love, John. P.S. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that truth. Um, I, I can't add anything more to that. Would you seal that to our hearts? Thank you, Lord, for loving us and giving us the faith that overcomes the world. Uh, it's a pretty good ask, but you did it. We're grateful. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about the Meaning of Life podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org.